Hello there, I'm Clara Amfo and welcome back to This City, a podcast dedicated to the stories, the places and the people of our wonderful capital city, London. Now, each episode, I'll be talking to some of the city's most recognisable names, whether they were born here or have made it their second home, to hear their very own love letter to London. This week's guest is somebody that I've known since they were a teenager and oh my, how they have grown. Um, I just think they're incredible. They have written hits with a capital H for the likes of Little Mix, Dua Lipa, Kylie Minogue, Beyonce, Madonna, Craig David, the list goes on. He's an artist, producer and bona fide pop star in his own right and this year gave us one of the strongest hooks of the decade with Head and Heart. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to this city, South London's finest, Emanike. Well, 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 an episode that I'm so happy is happening. An episode that actually, when I asked the person in question, they were just like, <laughs> it's about time. I literally was <laughs> waiting at the door for you. <laughs> waiting for me at the door. Um, I am absolutely delighted to welcome South London's finest, the glorious mononymed wonder that is Emanike. Hello, my babes. Look, here we are. And I need to give people the visual because obviously this is a podcast, but people need to know that I am talking to you like Brandy. You're sitting up in your room (laughs) (laughs) and behind you are posters of icons. I can see Mariah Carey, George Michael, Billy Piper, Destiny's Child, Rihanna, Tony Braxton. Oh, who's the three by Mariah? Is that Mean Girls? No, who was that three? Okay, so that's not three. That's the Spice Girls. Ah! On the cover of Rolling Stone. Okay, iconic. We got everyone. The funny thing is, like, this room, it's really good for me to be just a fan of music. Because I know, like, the way that we connected is because we're just, like, proper, like, pop music fans. And so, in my room, I just get to be the fan. And then when I'm in my office, I can be the producer, whatever. Yeah. Uh, It's a safe space, this room. Exactly. So was this like your teenage room growing up? I wish. That's the thing. I think like this room right now is really what I wish my teenage room was. So I'm kind of, I've spent the entirety of my 20s in this room and have just decided to make this my my, (laughs) lol, my student room essentially. But we're, we're upgrading soon. So like we're we're moving house in a couple of weeks now. So oh right, yeah, we're doing it. We're really like growing up and doing the adult thing. <laughs> I yeah, exactly. I like that phrase, the adult thing. It's it's almost like an allegation to be an adult, isn't it? It's like really, are you sure? Me? Well, you think about it, and it's like in eight years or seven years, like you don't think it's that long, but that's a young decade. Like that's a long time ago. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have progressed. Like, you know, it's just, I, I, I'd like to think none of us are the same person we were eight years ago. Oh, my goodness. Well, look, let, let's get into that because there's so much to discuss. Um, I remember, I mean, actually, let me ask you, do you remember when we first met what we were doing? If you don't, it's okay. <laughs> it, do you mean like met physically or like virtually? I mean, I mean, I mean... Actually, give it, give me both. I want, I want to see what you, what you remember. See, I remember the virtual one because I remember that I, you know, I was like 17, 18, just tweeting like reckless shit, and then you just uh, followed me, 
and then you were like, oh, I just followed you because I thought you were hilarious. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then, like, we'd see each other in different places. Like, I remember when you were DJing in Shoreditch and, you know, I'd see you, like, at different events. And uh, I have, like, an old picture of us, like, a kiss thing that we did all the way in, in Scotland or wherever, was it? Remember it was like rainy and like I was wearing my hat. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, years ago. So I mean I I can't remember the, the, the physical one though. Okay, so I'll tell you. So we first met in real life, I wanna say about eight or nine years ago. This was when you were in your high top era. And yes. it was it was at a sort of um, careers advice panel workshop thing. And it was in East London. And we were on a panel. It was me, you, and about four other people just talking about working the, in the creative industry. And those times you would have been, yes, yeah, 17, 18. And it was like, Emanike, the boy wonder from South London. <laughs> Like, oh my God, he got he got a record deal at 15 years old. That that's and I remember being like, okay, I like I like this guy. All right, do you remember do you, do you remember that day? See, now I do. Now I remember that day. And I remember like just like it, it all being very green. Cause it was like, I think that like, we were both like in we'd been in the industry for like a short while. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even know how I was back then. Gosh. You were very you do you know what's really interesting? You were so you were you were you know what? Your shady sense of humor was definitely there, but you were very shy. <laughs> you you were you were you were very shy. I just I just remember that you were um you were much quieter than 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 I imagined you to be in contrast to like to your online persona because I think those times you definitely I think your, your MySpace was still popping to be fair the funny thing is I think a lot of the time when people when I talk to people about how I was when I first got in the industry or when I first got in the general word is that I was very shy and I think yeah. that I think about it and I really I was shy and I think there's people who would think that I'm shy right now but it's like it will be people who don't know me so, like, I know that generally I'm the kind of person that's like, oh, you know, I talk when I'm spoken to or like I like, you know, I don't always decide to like just give everything on the first go. So, I mean, when I'm comfortable with someone, you like, like we just got really comfortable the second that we spent more time and that we would like hang out and like be in the same places, we're extremely comfortable around each other. So talk to me about that young guy that I met about eight or nine years ago. Where where is where is he from? Well, truthfully, like I'm a British Nigerian boy. I grew up in Catford. I, you know, I was living with my parents. I all I had a one-track mind and all, I said, look, all I want to do is just make tunes. And it was it was really as simple as that. And I think I probably tried to overcomplicate it back then and and it was just like simple as I want to sing, I want to songwrite, I want to produce. And I really just like was there. I just wanted to do that. And my parents didn't quite understand until I put some stuff up on MySpace. And it essentially got me discovered by like all these industry bigwigs. And like, my parents were so overwhelmed at seeing so many white people in our house and like, you know, offering <laughs> money and like, deals and uh you know uh, contracts and things of the like so it was yeah and then I then I ended up here and thankfully I'm still here there's a lot of people that I was here with when I got in thankfully some of them are here some of them aren't but that's you know it's just this industry is very very ruthless 
I'm glad to still be in it making tunes. I mean, you really are Mr. Number One Best-Selling Single with Head and Heart, which, we'll get, <laughs> which we will get to in a minute. But I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued by the prequel. So you grew up in Catford, British-Nigerian. When did your parents first come to this country? And what was Catford like for you growing up in the, in the 90s and noughties? Because you're a 94 baby, right? I'm 94. Yeah. Um, I'm the second of three kids. And, you know, from what I, from what I know, my parents have been in London for a long time. My, my dad was actually born here. So my dad was born in, in London and then, you know, uh, grew up in Nigeria. Um, and my mom's been in London for like half of her life and working and, uh, you know, she wanted to be in catering and like, she's an amazing cook. Like she makes cakes now, like any birthday cake you see on my Instagram is like, she's made it. Can I just have a moment, by the way, for your mum's glamour? Because let me tell you, yeah, <laughs> Mama Emanike, the looks are just, she's just fab. And she knows it, which I like. She's goals. I love my mum. I think she's a total star icon. And she's, I love when she does get glamorous. And that's why, like, you know, there was a point when I would always go there and whenever she'd be coming back from... this, Sometimes these fashions will be her, like, from church, you know what I mean? Just a simple church that isn't even, like, a two-minute walk from my parents' house. Like, just, she just wanted to pop off a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. I mean, she's such a glamorous woman. I think I, I think the knack I have for glamour or the knack I have for just like dressing up is definitely from her. Right, 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 right. So Mama M&EK has been in London half of her life. Your dad was born here, went back to Nigeria and came back and then you three were raised in Catford. Yeah, you we were raised in Catford. And I think that, you know, I'm thankful to have been raised in the area I was raised in because I could have been raised somewhere where I was going to be the only black kid in school. You know what I mean? Or I was going to be the only black in a lot of places. And that just wasn't my reality for none of my teens. Like I was absolutely amongst fellow African, Caribbean, Asian kids. Like it was, my school was majority of people of color. So it was great to be in that surrounding. And I think that helped with like the, my character. What what do you think it is about South London in particular? Because there's always particular banter about people from South, like online, <laughs> when it comes to like fashion, attitude, all of it. <laughs> what <laughs> he's 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 cleared his throat, ladies and gents. What is it about South do you, that you think gives it that distinction from all the other ends? And also, what what is it about your area? I mean, look, your good friend Ray Black, who you grew up with, made the song "My Hood." What is it about Catford that you think fed your creativity? When I when I think about it. Uh, it's it's hard to think about Catford like fueling my creativity because I felt a slight resentment of, uh, about the area I grew up in for a while because it was so different to what I was aspiring to. I'd grown up there. I'd spent a portion of my life there and of my school years. And uh, I felt like a part of me was there, but the part that I wanted to uncover or the part that I wanted to really like be myself in was outside of that so if anything like while i love catford and uh southeast london as far as the foundation and the culture and just like just the bare bones of myself when i moved to east london was actually really the becoming of me as a as like a young adult i thought right right so okay talk to me about the move 
So one fine day in the year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what was? It was like a gradual thing because I'd, I'd signed my publishing deal and I'd been working with uh, Rudimental a lot and we'd shared a studio and, the, you know, working with them and also working with Xenomania was my introduction to Shoreditch. So for people that don't know, let, let's break it, let's break it down. Because obviously not everyone, everyone doesn't always work in the music industry and you're, you're throwing out some names here. I mean, everyone knows, who, <laughs> everyone knows who Rudimental are. You know, they have had so much great success, have discovered loads of artists, given loads of people a great start in their career, like you, Anne-Marie, Sinead Harnett, Becky Hill, Ella Eyre. Now, Xenomania, um, unless you're a massive pop stan, you may not know who they are. So let's just talk about Xenomania's receipts quickly before you get back into... <laughs> so... Break it down for the people. Who are Xenomania? I mean, Xenomania, Brian Higgins, Miranda Cooper, uh, you know, and co. They would make all of Gazelard's records, Sugar Babes. And, you know, the the record that I had with them, the main record that I'd done with them was my first hit when I was 16. And that was uh, All Fired Up for the Saturdays. Oh, true! To this day! That is the best Saturday. I, Molly King works with me at Radio 1. I tell her all the time. Like, all fired up. <laughs> it still bangs. You know what's so funny? When I first heard it, I wasn't into it. The way that Brian worked it was that he would get... It was kind of similar to how, you know, a song I, I did, uh, you know, hold up uh, with Beyonce, where she, yeah. the way Casual. she works is... No, the, so the way she works... <laughs> Casual. Listen, wait, wait, Ebony... wait, 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 wait. Okay, this isn't a flex, I promise. I'm just trying to... I'm no, just trying please. To get, like, flex. No, no, flex. no. I'm just trying to get, give context, all right? So, like, the way Beyonce works, the way Brian Higgins works. So, like, these are people I've both, like, I see their process. They get pieces and they, you know, composite them. You know, they, like, put them together to be one piece. And so when it came to All Fired Up, I had no idea what that song was going to be before it, before it happened. And so when I got sent the final bounce, I was like, what is going on? Like, you know how, like, Biology by God's Last sounds like three different songs? Yeah. Right, exactly. That's literally the process. So you hear it. That, exactly how you heard that is, like, how they're gluing everything together. Anyway, that's the um, umbrella of Xenomania, who, right. who we love. And how did you first meet them? That was me uh, on Facebook at 14, deciding to just go... Because when I was 14, I just didn't give a fuck. I was so courageous. And I was just like, let me just message these people. So I messaged Miranda Cooper on Facebook. And I'm just like, look, I'm 14. I make music. I'm a massive fan of your stuff. Here are my demos. I'd love to work one day. And then she sees me in NME like a few weeks later. She's like, oh my God, I saw you in NME. I'd love, you, love to work with you. And so she introduced me to Brian. And that was kind of it. And then I was going over there being locked in uh, a booth and literally ad-libbing till my throat was sore for like every half term and weekend till I was like 18. And that, and that was in Shoreditch? It was, okay, so part of it was in Shoreditch because there was a hub in Shoreditch. And I'd often go to uh, this main kind of like spot in Oxted, like near like south, south of the river. But like when I first met Brian was in, uh, in Shoreditch, like in Maine, like Shoreditch High Street. Right. And was it from those meetings that you thought, hang on a minute, I could, I could live around this neck of the woods. Like maybe it's time to leave South. It was, I mean, like it was Brian, it was seeing that place, but it was also 
having a studio in Hoxton with the Rudimental Boys and that being my main spot and it almost feeling like my first um, place because I was paying rent, you know what I mean? Like I was still living with my mom and dad, but I was paying rent in this place that I could do whatever I wanted in. So, it, you know, I uh, assigned it to independence and assigned it to me becoming a young adult, for sure. Gosh, talk to me about um, some of those some of those studio days of rudimental and that that space because I can imagine that you know I'm sure many I'm, I know for a fact many memories were made. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know something? I I do have fond memories of that time, and I think like uh, I, what I found was that making the home album like their, their first album. It was such a fun experience because I was just becoming legal. So I was like, you know, I wasn't going to clubs or I wasn't really drinking. And so making this album with them and touring and doing all of that was absolutely my introduction to nightlife and becoming an adult. And it was very much a coming of age record for me, like to be mm-hmm. a part of. Uh, so you know, I just loved some of the jam sessions we'd have that would then become some of the songs that we listen to on that album today. And I, you know, that was, it was such a, a pure time. It didn't feel like any agenda other than like, I'm just a young kid. And I was with Sinead and, you know, Becky and Anne-Marie and like all them lot. It was such a fun time. So, yeah. You know, I love that you can mention like Becky and Sinead and and Ella, you know, um got and Anne Marie with this with this casualness because obviously like we know them now as these like big names in the industry, but you know, they're just short girls from around the way. Well, you know, that's the thing, like, cause okay, so I didn't go to, to uni, right? So I didn't go to like college or any like higher education. And so I found that me touring with the rudimental boys and me even being in this industry it's a lot like a university of life and I come across the same people you know I mean I've literally grown up with Ella and with Becky and with Anne-Marie in this industry so we're continuing to work with each other in whatever capacities you know but you know it's all we're all here we all support each other and it's great that that family that sense of family is still there yeah it's it's re- it's really beautiful to see you know with all the different venues that you perform uh and like the records that you release like you can you can see like it's yeah it's 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 genuine and we love to see it etc etc we so, do so, we do enjoy t- it t- talk to me about the about the crew and the hub that you're in now because you, I know you live in you live in a very creative home. So you're based in East now. You are in the process of trying to move house. Yes, that's happening at some point. Um, I think by the time this goes out, I'll, I'll probably be I won't be here no more. But um, yeah, I live with in, my enjoy, best enjoying those head and heart checks. Come on, <laughs> look. I think uh, no. So I live with uh, my best friend Leo Leo Kalyan, who's an amazing musician. Great artist. And uh, his boyfriend. So we all live together. And, you know, it's great to be amongst, first of all, other gays of colour, because I think that's been a great foundation to be around while I'm in London, while I'm in, like, really central London. I think it could have been gone a different way. but um, Talk to me about that. How come you reckon it could have been different? Well, you know, I think that, Hey, I would advise any queer person of color who lives in London to be with people who look like them, you know, and to never feel like they have to explain or, uh, you know, 
have to trivialize their trauma. You know what I mean? I think like being amongst, you know, Leo and his boyfriend and we're all here together and we all have like a sense of like family and togetherness and we're all on the same page. We don't have to like doubly explain stuff, you know? And I think that really helps with the living experience. You know, if you're trying to just live and lounge, right? You can't just be having to fight every day. For sure. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting because, you know, you mentioned earlier um, your time of rudimental and like going to clubs and stuff. Like, do you remember the first club you went to where you found your tribe, where you found your people? You're like, okay, cool. These are the spots where I'm going to be hanging out. This is where you'll find me getting my life and just being free. Okay. So the rudimental time was definitely me figuring it out. I think that was me, like, I was partying and doing all of that and enjoying and really, like, having a great time. But then I think for me, like, a real breaking point in my nightlife was, like, totally, I think it was New Year's. It might have been New Year's 2014 when I just, you know, I think I glued everyone together. So it was, like, it was me, it was Leo, it was Becky, it was shift key it was ryan ashley it was just a bunch of us i i don't know how it happened but we all just met that one night and because i'd been friends with everyone separately i hadn't actually found the chutzpah or the moment to to fuse them and i think that was amazing for me to finally have my clique of people like my clique of like best friends especially as i just turned like 19 i just signed a record deal and i was like okay I'm a young person in this industry. Who are my actual, like, friends, you know, as opposed to colleagues? <laughs> so I that, that. Really, that was really fun for me at that time. Where did you go? What venue? We were in, it was in the O2. I feel like it was like a, a, an event next to the O2. And I think we just got really drunk. And it was like, it was on the same night, I was singing Ready for Your Love with uh, Gorgon City. And I had, freaking laryngitis like I don't know what business I had singing but I still had a great time you know and I don't think hey it's the past now (laughs) so it doesn't it's not that bad I had a great time that night though well that's the that's the main thing it's it's a growing it's a growing experience yeah it is and I I needed to grow at that point because I was very green to a lot of things I think the fact that I started in the industry from really young definitely made I felt like a late bloomer in a lot of ways because it was like I was so one track mind like I said before I said I just wanted to do this and I think the wiggle room that comes with like just being okay I'm in school I'm going to uni I'm figuring it out I didn't give myself I was just like I'm doing this and I'm not going to put any energy on anything else so I grew out of that though no but I think it's it's good that you still oh well, I hope you still have a little bit of that though because it's it's kept you doing what you do no I think it's a balance I think that truthfully like I am one track mind in a lot of ways and I think that there's nothing else I'd rather do uh in this life than make music and make people happy but yeah doing this for 12 years I think that after a while I obviously I would love to find other things about myself you know what I mean I don't think I everyone to feel like I have it all figured out at this point. You know, I'm 26, but there's uh, so much life to figure out. For sure. I mean, well, let's talk about 
I guess, fresh starts and, and, and rebirth because, you know, what your career trajectory has been so amazing and so fascinating to watch because I want to go back to your album launch night, actually. So oh, yeah. let's, let's talk about your album launch party and just that <laughs> era of your life. So tell the people, where did you have your album party, Evanike, for your debut record? I had my album launch party at Metropolis in Cambridge Heath. So Bethnal Green, that area. And tell the people what it is, for people that don't. Well, I mean, language, the language album was, yeah, it was my first album. And I just, I wanted to celebrate as some really fun and, you know, queer friendly. And, uh, you know, Metropolis was somewhere that I was going to party for, you know, forever. And uh, the conversation came about me throwing the launch party then. It just felt at the right spot. I know I could walk home. And like, you know, it was, it was so much fun. It was so much fun to just have a, a, a shindig there. I mean, it, it's a gentleman's club, but it was actually just every, it was a free fall for everybody. And I think it was for, great to create that environment. It, you know, it was a really, really fun night. And I just thought, of, you know what, this is absolutely the perfect place for you to to have this party and and it I mean look, look I don't want to speak for you so you you obviously you tell me how you how you felt that night but it was just um really edifying to see you like have that moment to be like look yeah I've been writing hits for other people but guess what honey I I've still very much am <laughs> an artist yeah I mean that was a really fun night because it was I felt like it was a real celebration of I think so much had been riding on my first album, right? And I think that it was a nice sigh of relief of all the hard work I've been putting into it. You know, I think that that entire year I've been traveling, you know, left and right and up and down and doing music videos and performances. And I was I was learning choreography and shit all of a sudden. So I don't know, I, I was working. And so it was great to just celebrate and celebrate the release of the album and be with my friends and my collaborators and everyone who I just really love to be around in, in that time. Well, I want to thank you also for that night, because if it wasn't for that night and your album, I wouldn't have been introduced. And I think Instagram wouldn't have been introduced to the talents of Rileysa Slaves, aka the best Rihanna drag queen I have ever seen in yeah. my life. Hi, that's my own birthday party. Yeah. Fab. How did you guys connect? Did you just meet that night or did you know each other before? We met that night. <laughs> so this was like, you know, because this was via uh, Glenn at Sink the Pink. So like he'd got together all the drag queens and I knew some of the drag queens, but I'd met Release there and yeah, period. Stunning and the life of the party. And so from that point, seeing her there, I would then see her at so many different other places and, you know, it would always just be love. And, you know, that's what I miss about, I do miss that about London life. And, uh, I, Hey, Oh my God, I know what part we're about to talk, talk about after this. Um, <laughs> I know which one, because I've just thought about it now. Uh, it was one last year that was literally, it was the best part I've, I've ever been to. Like, Which, I mean, what, what part are you talking about, Emanike? Okay, so do you remember the Magnum night? Oh, that was really fun. <laughs> that was really fun. That I literally, I don't think I've ever like sweated, screamed, cried, smiled, laughed as much as I ever did in that night. 
with you and Nick and all the drag queens around you and Sue Elise on the mic? Oh my God. Oh yeah. Okay. So guys, last year I was DJing and with, with Grimmy and randomly Sue Elise from Mystique rolled through. She just happens to be passing by the venue. So I put on a Mystique tune and then she just started sort of doing Alicia's bits and Sabrina's bits, but kind of, she was just giving us a Mystique presence and people lost it it was just like all of your all of your naughty's dreams come true the funny thing is i have the video of the moment where she went into alicia's rap that someone else had captured and i also have it from my phone and just my facial expressions as it was like i jumped out of my body it was incredible like, I mean, again, like I say, rebirth and reborn. I saw, I saw you like get your life become resurrected again. <laughs> <laughs> no, for again. real. Um, I want to talk about, um, I guess what's happened with you recently because I think you are such a great example of, you know, what you can have your goals. And you can have an idea and things can go like, you, you know, you want things to go in a straight line, don't you? I think anyone who's ambitious, no matter whether they work in a creative industry, banking, whatever, you've got your end point and it doesn't always go from A to B. It can go A, A.1, A.2, A.3. A... Because I want to talk about the fact that language didn't do the numbers that it did. And I feel that you you trust that there's no malice when I say this. It's just the real talk. It's the reality of the industry. Your debut yeah. album came out. I loved it. You know how I feel about the song Body. I still think you should have made it a single, but don't worry. But don't worry about it. Body is still available now on all good platforms. Um, but you know, and I, I, I remember you getting into it with somebody on Twitter because they were trying to be like, uh huh. You only sold this amount and blah blah. And I remember thinking like, oh, I really hope this person doesn't doesn't get to you because your talent is so immense. I mean, look, your receipts are just that they're, they're infinite. But it was so it was such a joy as a friend and as somebody who works in the same industry to see what happened with Head and Heart because I was like, look, see, this is an example of how you never know what can happen in this industry and also don't count yourself out. Yeah. You know? No, for sure. I mean, I think it definitely wasn't something I was expecting, the success of this song. And uh, I guess when I'd released Language, uh, I I felt like it was very much a self-inflicted pressure. Like I felt like I I really wanted it to do well, but I didn't know what doing well for me meant. Because I mean, you know, I'd had a taste of success with all these people that I'd written for, like Little Mix and Dua and you know Beyonce, all these names. So like it was, I was so used to seeing like millions and billions next to those like things, and my press release would be saying, "Oh, I've written for this person," and and so. I felt like if I wasn't doing that, then I'm a flop. And so I definitely felt a bit discouraged about like, you know, uh, a lot of things. And, you know, interestingly, like when it came to this year, I'd begun a new ethos that I really wish I'd had throughout my entire career. And just that I am here to make music and it doesn't have to be me singing it to be, you know, valuable. I would honestly, I honestly neglected so much of my earlier songwriting success because I was so fixated on being a pop star. I couldn't appreciate the songwriting like goals that I'd reached that not everyone has because I was like, okay, what about my pop star career? You know what I mean? And it's like, I just wish I could have just enjoyed it. And so it's funny now that I can come full circle 
with Head and Heart and it being the number one song of the country and it not being a thing of me being so obsessed about what's coming out next or what am I doing next for the artist project because I see Head and Heart as a mass success. I see Sweet Melody for Little Mix as a success. I see KSI really love a success. So it's like, I'm seeing it as just M&EK land. I'm doing well when I'm singing it, whether I'm doing it for someone else. And um, I want to continue just having that holistic attitude because it is what I do. And I don't want to, why should I see myself as a failure anywhere? A word, a <laughs> word. It's, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's like the minute that you stopped caring about yeah. that side or, or you made peace outside, all of a sudden come through number one best-selling yeah. single. It's ironic. <laughs> it is so nuts because I remember like I had Sam Smith on my show and they said like, you know, when I first heard it, I literally called all my friends and was like, this is like the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Little Mix paid tribute to it. Like, because th that hook, it's just, and uh, look, don't get me wrong, Radio 1, we play a lot of songs a lot of the time on repeat and some tunes by the end of like a month, you'll be like, okay, guys, I'm not even joking. I, I will listen to Head and Heart on purpose. It's just, it's just so good. Did it come to you super easy? So Head and Heart was, I mean, it, it definitely came to me easy in the sense that Head and Heart was actually a song that I'd been sent. And so I listened to it and it was written by uh, Dan Dare, who I used to share the studio with Rudimental with, ironically. So again, full circle. Full circle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Joel and Robert Michael Harvey and, uh, yeah, like it was like a whole collaboration moment. And so I'd been sent the demo and I loved it. And they said they needed me to write an extra section for it, um, which was the pre-section, which I wrote with Leo. And uh, that, yeah, that was my contribution to the record. And I think the fun thing about it is that objectively, I can say it's a great record because it was a re great record before I jumped on it. You know what I mean? And I think that it was great that they thought that my voice would be a great contribution to it and that my, you know, the pre-section would, would raise the song to a different level. So, yeah, as a punter, I know it's a good song. And so I'm glad I could just get to sing it and I get to perform it. And I got to perform it with you in the corner. Strictly, come on. It was so nice. It was a lovely moment. It was, it, again, because that's, I get full circle moments. Like seeing you perform that song as a bona fide, and you know, I say pop star with, with like, you know, the trademark sign next to it. As, <laughs> you know, because you've, you've been an artist, you've been a producer, you've been a writer, you, you know what it is. But to see you in that context of like, I am here because I'm Emanike, the pop star. It was, it was honestly, it was such a lovely moment. No, thank you. Listen, the fact that I got to see you do your thing was, was fab. And, you know, now you are well, look, you're you're, you're a recognisable person, like extremely. Even even, but look, even if you weren't well known, right? If I was to see you walking down the street, I'd double take you. Be like, cool. There is a fab six foot. How tall are you now? I forget. I'm six four. There's a tall six four, gorgeous chocolate man walking around here with blonde dreads, like looking fab. Like I'm gonna give you a double take. So now, what is life like for you walking around the city? Like, do do you mean do you still get the? Because I always ask people, right? Do you still get the tube and all public transport in general? And what is that experience like for you? And there's no judgment here because we've had people on here. <laughs> 
We've had people in this conversation like, nah, like I can't deal with the tube because I get hassled too much. Uh, we've had <laughs> Fat Tony on who was spending grands upon grands on getting taxis because my boy just doesn't like to walk. Some people live for the night bus. What, what's your relationship now with public transport? You had, wait, you had Jade on here, right? Yeah, lovely Jade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jade from Little Mix. And she was saying that she still takes the train. Yeah, but low key. Excuse you, you're Jade from Little Miss. You still take public transport, skin out. And she goes, Yeah, like no one recognized me. I put my shades on, put my mask on, it's not that deep. For me, I can't, you know, I can't hide. I can't really be inconspicuous. But at the same time, I think it's died down since lockdown. I think that there was a point like when I released language and when I was doing a lot of press and like really getting my face out of there, there definitely was a thing of I couldn't really go anywhere without there being like a a thing so i definitely i prefer taking ubers everywhere but then i don't think the fan thing comes into that i think it's more just that is easier and just an easier way to get to and from everywhere right okay and the fan thing hasn't really happened like in the past couple years because pandemic and i haven't really (laughs) been like out they're like doing a pedestrian like that so <laughs> like i don't know the fact that it's weird so uh, so okay there's yeah there's not there's not a dusty oyster card anywhere he's 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 about that uber life <laughs> it's an uber it's an uber it's fine like again no judgment i appreciate you <laughs> all right so we've established you're getting ubers uh to and fro where are you getting that good good are you are you getting ubers back home to get your mom's home cooking where are you getting that that good nigerian food so i i when i would go to my mom's house to get some nigerian food right and i'll do that or i order from this place called lecky restaurant and bar or i'll order from tommy's kitchen in dalston or like I love like my Nigerian cuisine. Like I and sometimes I crave it on a weekday, so I can't be frequenting to Catford like that. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a delivery order. And but I also I love Nigerian food. I love like Korean fried chicken. Mm. I eat in there. Like there's a pickle on the bag, which I'm obsessed with. Oh, on Old Street. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, their their chicken's banging. Oh no, it's been the holy grail for me for the past seven years. Like it's it's crap. <laughs> So when the time comes to get back out there, back out performing, uh, what would be your dream venue to to reintroduce yourself to your to your gig fans at? You know, like the thing with having this song now, it opens up like where I can go or like, you know, what I can be doing. And like, for instance, I'm looking forward to performing it on Top of the Pops for Christmas. And I'm excited to perform it for a capital thing or, you know, whatever, like all those like things where there's a big crowd of people and you can just see everyone singing along to this song, you know, and, and I love having those moments. I've had those moments with like songs like, like Ready for Your Love and Never Forget You, where it's just, it brings people together. And I just, I'm so excited to have that moment again. So basically all, all venues, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I can be a little picky, like just say, give me like a list and I'll say yes and no, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Where could I see a Fab M&EK gig happening? I mean, the in, like Indigo 2, I could really see your fans getting sounds up. But then also you you um, inco- incorporate a lot of sort of like uh, like club culture into your show and into your music. And you actually, you need somewhere that hasn't got like the heaven seats. You need somewhere where everyone can really be together, don't you? Yeah. I mean, like, 
hey, whatever the case is, at this point, I'm I'm singing wherever I'm assigned to. I'm actually really obsessed with all these quarantine performances I've been seeing. As much as I'm excited to perform in person, I've loved seeing like Clarine Halley and the Little Miss Girls and everyone who's just like Doja Cat who are really killing like delivering a performance that isn't necessarily live in person, but is totally captivating and like grabs you and does the job of promoting the song. Well, to be honest, with the backdrop that I'm seeing now with the poster of Janet behind you, George Michael, Billy, Mariah, all the aforementioned legends, I say that your bedroom is could be the number one night spot, babes. <laughs> Not this bedroom. I'm I'm leaving. Well, same same posters, new room, brand new performance space. Yeah, maybe some frames too, because I think I've given a few people like OCD triggers by just how diagonal everything is placed as far as posters go. This is a podcast, so no one can see this. <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take an exclusive picture. And so, so when when I share it, people people will have full context of this okay. conversation that we have had. Um, M&EK, last question before I let you go. What is your London dream, babes? What did you what do you dream what what do you dream about for this city? What do you what do you want out of London? What are, what has London given to you? Wow. That's so deep. Uh you know what? London has given me a sense of community. It's given me a sense of opportunity for sure. I think being born and raised in London is is something I'm very blessed for. Um just being able to see myself and see what I can be or see what I don't want to be, but just have that opportunity. Um, and, you know, London for me, I just wanted to, I, I want it to be more of what I see it to be, which is a melting pot of different experiences and cultures and, you know, loves and passions and, you know, love for art and love for just uh, everyone's cultures, you know? I know that, like I said, where I grew up, I was always around people who like me. I was always around people who I could learn from and it was always just exciting. So, you know, if should I ever raise kids? I'm not really into like kids per se, but if that ever happens, <laughs> you know, I know that, you know, London is a beautiful place for them to, to, to grow up in and I would want them to know that there's so much that they can do and they, they don't, there's, there's nothing that the eye can't see. Right on. Well, M&EK, to use your analogy, I appreciate you for adding your spice to the pot. And I know London loves you. Um, and thank you so much, babes. I love you, Clara. Thank you for having love me. Love you deep. Pleasure. We did it. Thank you so very much for joining me for another episode of This City. I've been your host, Clara Anfo. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please let us know. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Please rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can catch the next episode as soon as it lands. And also, do let me know who you would like to hear next. I'm all ears. Thank you so much again for listening. This has been a Sony Music fourth floor creative production. Music